Hi, and welcome to the 58th Womanthology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton, and I'll be your host. Womanthology is the digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas, and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Dr. Mamata Maheshwarapa, payload systems lead within the office of the chief engineer at the UK Space Agency. Mamata provides technical leadership and oversight for several high-profile instruments and payloads that the UK Space Agency is involved in, and she also leads their work on space-based solar power. Inesh Santos is away, so I will be talking you through the new content and the written issue again on her behalf. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Dr. Mamata Maheshwarapa. She is payload systems lead within the office of the chief engineer at the UK Space Agency. How are you doing, Mamata? How are things with you? Oh, thank you so much, Fiona. I'm doing really well. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Well, it's a great pleasure. I love all things space and your role is particularly exciting and interesting as well. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. We're going to get started. Our first question is always if you could give us an overview of your educational background and career to date to give the listeners a bit of a feel for who we're chatting with and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I come from India. I did my undergraduate degree in electronics and communications back in India. It's also the same time when I started my career in space. So during my second year of bachelor's, some of us attended a conference called International Astronautical Congress that was held in Hyderabad that year. So where there was an open challenge from then CEO or the chairperson of Indian Space Research Organization, who had offered to provide technical support and free launch for a student's team who came up with a CubeSat proposal. So some of us got together from seven different universities across three different states in India who designed, built, tested and launched the first Indian Pico satellite, which entered the National Book of Records called Limca Book of Records. So I was the systems engineer for this project. So during which I published several papers and learned about universities abroad and I wanted to study further. So I then came over to do my master's in space technology and planetary exploration at University of Surrey and then continued with my PhD on software-defined radios at University of Surrey as well. I also got an opportunity to work on some of the Surrey Satellite Technology Limited projects, that is SSTL, during my PhD time. And then I joined Kinetic to work on European Space Agency's ExoMars transceivers, frequency monitoring payload, and also lunar communications pathfinder missions. Then I moved to RALF Space, which is one of the departments within Science and Technology Facilities Councils, where I got to work on Sentinel-4 and Sentinel-5 test campaign. Then I was the technical lead on a project called SPECTRE, which was an international research-led project between Singapore and the UK. And last year, in January 2022, I joined UKSA as a payload systems lead, where I provide technical assurance and have an oversight on national instruments 
that go on NASA and European Space Agency missions. Wow, that's an amazing body of work to date already. And in terms of getting started there as well, that sounded like loads of collaboration. So to liaise with all of those different people. So I suppose space is very collaborative, isn't it? You're right. It is very collaborative. These missions are so multidisciplinary and they're so big that it is hard for any single nations to deliver them. So we always collaborate and with both even within the nation, we collaborate with different organizations and institutes and academia and industry, but also we collaborate internationally as well. And if we were wanting to imagine you on a day-to-day basis, and this is the question that everybody says, there's no one single day because everything's very different. But if we were imagining you at work, what type of things might we be imagining, bearing in mind that there's no single standard day? It's a variety of things. And that's the most interesting thing for me, especially in this role. So today, for example, I've been busy recruiting more engineers to the office of the chief engineer, and therefore I'm in back-to-back interview panels. <laughs> but in general, I provide team leadership to the payload systems discipline within the office of the chief engineer, both in day-to-day delivery and supporting the development of the team to meet the evolving requirements of UK Space Agency and the wider UK government. I provide technical leadership on UKSA programs and projects. This involves working closely with industry partners and international space agencies such as NASA, European Space Agency, JAXA and others. I also deliver expert advice and recommendations to senior officials within the government. I represent UK at key international forums, supporting policy negotiations and participating in expert working groups. Provide technical leadership on external feasibility studies and implementing those feasibility studies into different space mission architectures. I'm also the co-chair for the Women in Aerospace Europe UK Committee and part of the Women's Network here at UK Space Agency. And being a UK STEM ambassador, I do a lot of STEM outreach activities as well. Well, thank you for finding time to speak to us today, because that's a lot of different things to be doing. And in terms of the payload systems, we hear a lot about space technology terminology, but for non-space people, which is the payload bit? So in any spacecraft or in a launch vehicle, the main reason why you launch something becomes the payload. So it could be a sensor, it could be a camera, or in a launch vehicle, it would be a satellite itself. We in the UK are experts of developing those kind of niche instruments and the payloads that have flown on several missions on both ESA, NASA and even other bilaterals. So one of the examples is we from University of Oxford, we developed something called a lunar thermal mapper. It's a sensor that is going on a mission called Lunar Trailblazer that places advanced infrared sensors in or in moon's orbit for spatial and temporal characterization of lunar water and cold traps. And another example, we develop a sensor called Magnetometer. This is from Imperial College, and that's going on a mission called IMAP. So IMAP mission simultaneously investigates two of the most important issues in space physics today, the acceleration of energetic particles and also interaction of the solar wind with the interstellar medium, just to give you a flavor. What a flavor that is as well. I really want to work in space now. I think I've gone down the wrong career route. I need to make a career change because it sounds fascinating. I could literally listen to you all day. So next question then, in your opinion, what are the most exciting up and coming space technologies at the moment? What are the things that you think either that you work on directly yourself or that you might work on with colleagues? But what are the things that you're most excited about looking to the future? Yeah, that's an excellent question. 
So as I mentioned, all these instruments that I was listing before are all very niche and very different and they're all very challenging and therefore they're exciting in their own way. But also recently I've taken up a project called Space-Based Solar Power and I'm leading on the technical side of it. So although this concept has been there for 30 years, it is getting a lot of attention now, mainly due to the increasing energy demands and the threats around the world concerning the security of energy. And most importantly, raising the fossil fuel driving greenhouse gases. So if we were to achieve carbon neutrality, the study suggests almost 90 percent of all the energy must be from renewables or nuclear sources. So we at UK Space Agency are really interested because this might provide a sustainable energy, helping meet the government's net zero targets and provide energy security. So we, along with Department of Energy, Security and Net Zero, are supporting this space pay at different stages to accelerate the technology developments. And just for lay person's understanding, so space-based solar power, you're capturing it in space so we can use it down here. That's exactly right. So we would have a huge satellite. Now we are talking about kilometre-wide satellite up in geo-Earth orbit, mainly very far away. That is like 36 thousand kilometers away from Earth's surface. That's mainly because we don't want to be interrupted by day and night cycles or by any latitudes and also weather conditions. So we want to have the satellite up in space, which can get the energy from the sun, convert it back to microwave, and that microwave energy is transmitted to the Earth where it is converted back to the electricity sent to the grids, national grids. I think my mind is nearly blown here. That's really exciting. So how far are we along the journey for that, would you say? So we are in a very early stage. As I mentioned earlier, this concept has been there for the last 30 years. So it was originally proposed in 1968 and the patent was in around 1970s. But then it was seen as technically possible, but economically not feasible, mainly because of the cost of putting anything in space and such. But now, since that is reducing day by day, we are getting to the more commercial space launches and and the technology itself is progressing and the efficiency is increasing. And the kind of technology that we use now are far more efficient than what we used 30 years ago. So now we are looking at it in a new perspective and it is looking almost economically feasible now so therefore the interest across the world but we also want to understand if the system is feasible both on the ground and in space and therefore department of energy and us have joined up with this innovation call where we are trying to understand that feasibility of the entire system so we are in that early phase a b1 study level very excited about this And why is diversity of thought so vital in the space sector? I think we've touched upon the communication and the collaboration before, but why would you say that diversity of thought really helps? Yeah, we all need to promote equality, in essence, equity, definitely, but celebrating differences because these differences such as gender, race, ethnicity, identity, age, physical abilities, even the skills and the way we approach a problem have an impact throughout one's life. Um, research by Professor Scott, who is also the author of the book called The Differences, says that where you're trying to solve a complex problem, that is kind of things that we scientists and engineers across the space sector do, progress from different perspectives. That is, the ability to see the problem differently, not simply being smart often is the key to the breakthrough. Diversity is always key to long-term economic growth and global competitiveness. Yeah, because I suppose we don't know who has the answers, do we? Correct. Yeah, that, that is right. 
And in terms of the UK Space Agency championing inclusion, so we've spoken with colleagues over a number of years, so I know that it's something that the agency is really, really getting behind. But what are the examples at the moment of the things that the agency is championing? Sure, doing a lot of things. So personally, (laughs) I represent UK Space Agency and co-lead the Women in Aerospace Europe UK Committee. So UK Space Agency is very supportive of that. Women in Aerospace, for those who do not know, is a non-profit organization committed to promoting female talent and leadership across all levels of the European aerospace sector. So the aim is to encourage change through best practices, sharing research and relevant resources, making female talent visible and professional opportunities accessible, and also supporting our members through professional development, mentoring, community building, networking, and relevant resources. But coming to UK Space Agency, so I think this problem is there in every technical sector, not just in space. But when it comes to our space sector, we have a size and health survey of 2022 showing that only 24% of our space professionals are female. The sector brings around 17.5 billion to the UK economy and employs nearly 49,000 people. So we need a broad range of skills and backgrounds to build a diverse and thriving talent pipeline. We use research such as UCL's ASPIES projects to help inform our work, where issues with the uptake of STEM were studied across various age groups. And also all our educational activities have diversity at their core and are designed to help break the gender biases and misconceptions about the space industry and show the opportunities in the space sector for women and also for underrepresented groups. It's also recognized in the International Astronautical Federation, who in 2022 awarded UKSA Education and Skills Team with their Excellence in 3D Diversity Award. We have initiatives such as WISE campaigns, My Skills, My Life initiatives, and encouraged fantastic women or female role models from within the UK Space Agency and across the sector to participate and share their experiences. Just as a note, not only half of the employees are women in UK Space Agency, but also half of our UKSA directors are women. That's quite some achievement. And do you think with STEM, you've mentioned before being a STEM ambassador and the, the outreach work, but do you think sometimes people, particularly girls at school, get turned off STEM? We've spoken with people before about the idea that it's not always seen as accessible. There's some stuff in the news today about we need to make maths appeal to more people. But do you think a lot of that is about the accessibility and people being put off? You know, if you were to say, I've got to do loads of pure and applied maths, I'd think that I'd struggle. But whereas actually sometimes if you present stuff like numeracy, I was always really big on numeracy. So if you gave me something practical, I could get my head around it much more. So do you think it's a lot of it is a way that we present it to people as well? Yeah, that's very, very true. But that's the good thing about space. Space not only wants engineers and project managers and most cool job astronauts, but we need policymakers, lawyers, journalists and so on. So there's a wide variety of skills that we are in need. And if you're passionate about something, I think the bottom line is if you're passionate about something, then you go an extra mile. It is very important that you enjoy your work because that makes most of your time of your life. So it's important that you enjoy. And it doesn't matter what your skills are. I think space needs it all. And it's great because there's obviously things like the Northern Lights have been visible in the UK recently, which is just fascinating. So I suppose something like that piques somebody's interest. Then that's when the good things start, isn't it, really? Very true. 
And what would your advice be to people who are interested in careers in the space sector? So this could be at any stage right through from school right up until it could be somebody who in theory is a career changer or they're interested in transitioning into the sector. But what would you advise people to do? My biggest advice would be to try as many things as possible early on in your life, because trying different things later on, it's not it's impossible, but it is more challenging. So go on as many work experience placements as you can go on internships or apprenticeships, whatever suits your background, and then try it in different sectors so that you get a flavor for different aspects and what you're interested in and what is your passion. Because it's hard to say for anyone, oh, this is my passion and I'm going to stick to this in your teens. It's very hard. So it is basically trying out different things practically and then seeing if that is still your interest. And then building upon your career based on that passion will take you a long way. Absolutely. And I think as well, reaching out to people is quite good as well, isn't it? There's so many people that want to help, which brings me actually to my next question, which is about how the womanthology community can engage with the work of the UK space agency. So if people wanted to stay in the loop to follow the progress, what are the best ways of doing that? Well, you're welcome to follow us on our social media. So UK Space Agency has accounts on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. I personally have my accounts on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So you're welcome to follow us and the work that we do. Well, I'll be following certainly because I want to keep up to date with all those exciting things that you're doing. So final question then, what is coming up next for you? What are you looking forward to? So that could be in work, that could be out of work, that could be anything that you want. So at work. There are a few launches that are coming up in the next 18 to 24 months. So I'm really excited for those. So some of them are Lunar Trailblazer, IMAP, and also another mission called Smile. So I'm looking forward for all these launches. And secondly, the findings that would come out from this innovation call that I just mentioned. So this is regarding space-based solar power. So I'm really, really excited to know what the outcome of these studies will be and how we can shape the project in the future. And outside work, I'm going to India after a very long time and I'm excited to meet my extended family and I'm going to spend a month in India. So that'll be amazing. Oh, well, I (laughs) hope that you have a fantastic time and a wonderful rest as well. It's been the greatest pleasure speaking with you for the podcast. You are welcome back anytime and please do keep in touch with us as well. We can follow your progress. So, Mamata, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. As Inesh Santos, our associate editor, is away at the moment, I'm bringing you the new stories and the written issue on her behalf. Stories include Dr Heidi Tiemann, co-founder of the Space Skills Alliance, shares the work she's doing to research into the space skills gap. Dr Viva Levin Prabhu, space researcher, discusses the work she's doing studying characteristics of lunar soil so that humans can build structures on the moon. Portia Bowman is CEO of Growbotics, a company dedicated to developing the tools, components and processes necessary for a circular space economy. And she talks with us about her aim of developing technology to reuse components in orbit to reduce waste. Portia also tells us about taking part in a UK space agency accelerator delivered by a consortium led by Entrepreneurial Spark and Exotopic. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also follow the show. 
Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Join us in the next episode and written issue where we shine a light on epic women in mathematics. <laughs>